Awesome. And we should have a presentation. There we go on the screen. Uh, if you can see that, the title of the sermon today is this, The Sun Will Come Out. Uh, it's inspired by one of the greatest movies of all time, Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. Come on, with me, with me. Bet your bottom dollar that. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love ya. Tomorrow, come on, Ben, you're only, come on, Ben, you're dead. One more for Ben, one more for Ben. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love ya. Tomorrow, you're only a day. That doesn't finish. That goes on and on. There must be a way to bring it down at the end. Anyway. Uh, how many people, you've all seen the movie Annie, if you haven't seen it, you've had a deprived childhood, uh, but it's a classic tale, it's a bit, it's a bit like a it's, a, it's it's a modern sort of take on a Charles Dickens sort of idea, and it's got this, it's a classic orphan tale, and it's got these, uh, this, this girl in the orphanage, and dreaming about the day when she'd be adopted, and she ends up being adopted in this family, but then it goes bad, and then it goes good, and it's happy at the end, all right, same as every other thing you've ever seen on TV or movie, right? Um, the, the idea of adoption is central to our faith. The idea, not, not the Annie version of it or the Oliver Twist version of it, but the idea of being adopted is, is central to our understanding of what the gospel is. It's, it's central to our understanding of what scripture is. In, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, we'll throw it up and you can read it. It says this, that his unchanging plan, that's God's unchanging plan, has always been to adopt us into his own family. How long has it been God's plan? It's always been God's plan. Has God got any other plan? He's got no other plan. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family. Have a think about that for a moment. Before you were born, his plan was to adopt you into his family. Not just you, but us. Because you're important, but us is way better than just you, right? Before you were born, his plan was to adopt you. Before your grandparents were born, his plan was to adopt you, to adopt us into his family, right? The Bible even says this, that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins before the creation of the world. Now, that's the beautiful thing about God. He can do things in whatever time order that he wants. But before God created the whole world, he already had built into his plan a system and an opportunity, a, 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 a way of redeeming us into relationship with him. Pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And, and unlike the Annie story, God's plan has always been to adopt us and his plan always will be. It's always his plan to bring us into family with him. It's his plan to draw us together as a family and draw us towards himself as a family. If God wanted just great singing, he would just stick with the angels. He wouldn't bother creating us, right? If it was just about worship and and adoration uh, from the angels, he, he already had that. God didn't need our praise. Do you know one of my favorite things in the Bible says, it says, um, uh, how many of you heard this saying before that we really need to just serve God? Do you know the Bible says you can't serve God? Because if, you know, because if God needed you to do something for Him, then we would get confused about who was God, wouldn't we? But the reality is He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. 
God's fully self-contained. The reason God created human beings and you're one of the ones he's created and the reason he created you was simply so that he could love you. He didn't create you just so that you could love him and you could serve him. He did, his plan isn't to adopt you into the family so that you can look after, you know, oh, I'll adopt you into the family and then you can, be, you can do the dishes. And I'll adopt you into the family and you can work on the farm. I'll adopt you into the family and you can chop wood. No, God adopts us into his family because he loves us. It's his unchanging plan. It's always been his plan to adopt us into his own family. He does that by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this I like as well. And this gave him great pleasure. What's God excited about in heaven right now? I'm sure he's excited about how the hurricanes are going. Not so much the crusaders. No, that's more, the devil's more interested in what the crusaders are up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That red, it's the red. Give us a giveaway. It's a giveaway. It's a satanic team. But... But God's mostly excited about people opening their heart and responding to him. Not just unsaved people or saved people, you know, human people. He's interested in it that, we, that we would love him, that we'd be open to receive his love. And it gives him great pleasure. What gives him great pleasure? It gives him great pleasure that his plan is working, that people are coming and opening their heart so that he can draw them to himself in love. I don't know about you, but I think that's the most exciting verse in the whole Bible. That his plan's always been to adopt me. That his plan's always going to be to adopt me. That he brings me into his family and he does it through Jesus Christ. Because how do we normally build relationships? We normally build relationships by other people meeting our expectations. Where God brings us into his family, he builds a relationship with us through himself meeting all the expectations. The next, the next screen was supposed to be a video, but it's really long, and it's from Prince of Egypt. There it is there. And it's, you, can, you can press play in the, if you want. We'll see if it works. No sound, eh? That's the wrong sound, yeah. What you can't hear is them singing beautifully in a Disney song. Don't worry about it. I'm skipping this one anyway, Jono. I'm skipping it. You can look at Prince of Egypt in your own time. I actually downloaded this one off YouTube. So if you want to watch Prince of Egypt, it is all on YouTube, the whole thing. Don't make that face, Ari. It should be on YouTube. It makes YouTube a better place. The reality is, um, it's a cool story. And this is the story of Moses, right? Story of Moses. Oh, I like it. I like the story of Moses. That God, God meets... The children of Israel cry out to God, and then this little baby's born. Perfect solution, right? And then the baby, the baby's under threat, right? The the the, uh, the Pharaoh is going to kill all the boy babies, particularly, right? They'll throw them all in the Nile River, right? First of all, he tries to get the midwives to kill them all. The midwives obviously don't play along with that plan. And then Pharaoh passes a law making it legal for Egyptians to find Israel boys under two years old and just to murder them, right? And so Moses, this little baby, the b- born into, like through no fault of his own, he's born into this place where his life is under extreme threat, right? His mother's brave or crazy or desperate, 
right? And so she makes a basket for Moses, like a little boat out of reeds. She weaves this basket together, and it says that she seals it with pitch. And the Hebrew is that it's the same word for what they sealed the ark, Noah's ark in. It's like they sealed it with salvation is the hint in the Hebrew word. And she seals this little reed basket. And can you imagine? She puts this, her baby, not a baby. It would be easy to put a baby in a basket. She puts her baby in a basket, and then she pushes her baby out into the river. Right? Like I said, easy, someone else's baby. But when it's your own baby, right? People are like, yeah, yeah, you know, if God told me to do it, I'd do it, right? No? Other people are like, no, I'd be more, yeah? People are like, okay, anyway. And she puts it out. And as we know from the Prince of Egypt, there was crocodiles who were trying to get the basket. There was boats going past. There was cannons firing. There was people singing. Um, all, all happening in the background. The baby's in the basket and there's waves. And anyway, the basket comes to rest in amongst the reeds and, and the the... Egyptian princess finds the baby, looks into, here's the baby crying, looks into the basket, looks at the child, and adopts the child. Again, this is craziness again. What's the, what's the chances of, of putting a basket in a river and for it to just bump into the right person? For, the, for that woman to hear the baby crying and respond to that cry... And probably the only person in all of Egypt who can do anything about this baby, it bumps into her. Now, it was the Pharaoh's daughter who finds the baby, right? right? If it was the Pharaoh's son, it would have been a different result. If it was the Pharaoh, it would have been a different result. If it was any other Egyptian, there already had been a law passed that they were supposed to just destroy that baby. Right, But it bumps into someone, and because of their heart, they reach out and they adopt this child. you got to understand, this isn't just the story of Moses. This is the story of humanity, that we are born into the situation where the best thing we can hope for is a ride in a basket on a crazy river. And, and as we cry out, it says that, the, that she heard the baby's cries. Like I was saying from Matthew chapter 5, when we realize we desperately need God and we cry out, God hears that cry and he looks and reaches down into our life and he draws us to himself and adopts us. It's It's a crazy, crazy story, right? Have a look at this quote. This is mine. This is from Rick Warren. And he writes a lot about adoption. He says this, most people think that Christianity is a belief system. There are beliefs involved, but more than that, it's about onection. Just, sorry, just acknowledging that we had to change computers partway through and we hadn't got caught right. It's about connection and belonging. Being a Christian means you belong to the family of God. It means you are part of the body of Christ. When you cried out to God, whenever that was, and God's spirit, his heart responds to you and connects with you, do you know what didn't change? Your behavior didn't change. Your belief system didn't change. Your BO didn't change, right? The hair grows on the top of your ears didn't stop growing. The hair growing out, you know, like nothing changed about you other than the fact that you now belong to a different family. Your beliefs remain the same. If it was about your beliefs, how could anybody get saved? Right? How could you get all your beliefs perfectly in line? Some of you are like, well, I actually have got my beliefs perfectly right. Right? Well, let me assure you, anyone who says that is wrong. Right? It's not just about our belief system. It's about connection and belonging. It's a, it's, 
What it, when Moses was picked up out of that basket, which is the type of our salvation, what did he have to do to prove himself? What did the baby do? What does the baby do to prove himself for the parent's love? The baby cries. The baby does poos. The baby does wheeze. The baby cries. The baby does poos. The baby does wheeze. Sometimes you think, well, I'm going to do something great for God. Do you know what you mostly do? (laughs) Mostly we just cry, don't we? But God loves us. Mostly we do poos, but what does God do? God, by His grace, cleans us. Right? And then what do we do? Then we cry, and then God feeds us, and then we do poos. Imagine imagine a six-week-old baby, and the parents are like, well, come on, pull yourself together. Come on, but we, we, we... We do God a disservice when we think He's like us. He's not. He is love. He's not pretending to love. That's what we mostly do. Hey, how you doing? Ah, nice to see you. God's not like that. He loves us, right? His heart has been captured by us, and He's chosen to adopt us, right? I like this one as well. Adoption, this is J.I. Packer. He says, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven Brought in for supper and then given the family name. Have a look. This is, this is some people from the Bible in the big picture. There's a list of people from the Bible. Check out these guys. So the, the, what you can't see on the screen there, uh, do you see, I'm, again, I'm so creative with my backgrounds. Have you loved the story of Abraham? So what does God say to Abraham? Hey, Abraham! How's Mesopotamia? It's good. Hey, just leave your family and your family's home, right? And, and, and go to a land I'm going to show you. There's, a, there's this whole new place I want to show you. And through you, all the families on the earth are going to be blessed. So God comes to Abraham with this massive promise and then draws him away from his family, from his identity, from his heritage, to a new one that God wants to give him. What about Joseph? Ever feel a bit left out by the family? Right? Do you ever feel, grow up in a family feeling like everyone else was, everyone liked everyone else more than they liked you? Ever been sold into slavery by your brothers? No, it doesn't happen that often, right? Moses, we've already talked about, has this experience in his life and in the journey of, of being separated from family but being rescued, right, and adopted. I think the next one is Samuel. How many people love Samuel and Samuel's mum? Samuel's mum prays for a baby. God gives him, her the baby. And she, then the next year when the baby's weaned, she just delivers him to church. Here's the, do not do this, right? But she comes to church, says to Eli, here, Pastor Eli, here's my baby. He's, yeah, he's going to live here with you. What? Eli's like an old man. And this baby turns up at church just to grow up in church, right? But he finds God. God calls him. God finds him in this space of where he could easily feel like, whoa, where am I? What am I? He finds this fatherhood, this parenthood in God. And then you've got David. Same sort of story. David's left out of the family. It's amazing. When you read the, the little story about David being selected as king and being anointed, it says something funny. They go through all six sons or seven of his sons. And then Samuel says, Do you, is these all the sons you've got? Just seven. What have you been doing? And then Jesse, who's David's father, says something super, super interesting. He says, oh, there is another one. 
the youngest, but he's out tending sheep. And Samuel says, go find him. We're not going to sit down until he gets here, right? And then they call David in, and they says these crazy things. It says that his eyes, his eyes were different, and that his face was ruddy, a different color. I always, under, I always just wonder, different to who? Well, different to the other seven fellas they've just been looking at. Why did David have different eyes and different colored skin? You know what they, I don't know about you, I grew up in a small town. When there's one kid that looks way different to all the other kids, there's some pretty simple explanations that get talked about behind the, behind the hand, you know. And I wonder why we've got this big special occasion and all the brothers are there except for the little one who looks a bit different. Looks a bit more like the lady next door, right? The reality is we don't know and scholars don't know, but scholars say for sure it wasn't an accident that David wasn't there. He was deliberately left out and God's, I'm looking all the time for the person left out. And just and God chooses him. And we know from the Psalms that David's this guy who's got this heart for God, that he learned to, to worship God in, his, in the space of seclusion, looking after sheep, right? And that God called him from that space and brought him to a place to, where he could serve God. You've got the, there's other great examples. Uh, Rahab in the Old Testament. The children of Israel coming into Israel. The, uh, the, uh, sorry, coming into the promised land. And she realizes God's doing something. And just by her response, God brings her not only into the family of God, but she ultimately becomes an ancestor of, of David, who we just talked about, and ultimately Jesus Christ, because of her, she was just adopted in. Ruth, the same thing, just brought into this God story. From really from left, from off stage, Ruth and Rahab and others just brought into the story. What about Daniel and his friends and Esther who were carried off into exile and they lived in this exile and then somehow God speaks to them and God uses them and God works his plan through them. That's God adopting them in. We can live our whole life feeling disconnected, but the reality is when we cry out to God, what God does, he brings us into his plan. Have a look at Romans 8, 22 verse 23. It says this, for we know all of, ooh, that's Galatians, go back one. Got it. Romans 8. It says, For we all know that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So that's about the, the, the tension that we see in life and the tension that we see in the world, right? And we believers, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, who is a foretaste of future glory, but we long for our bodies to be released from sin and from suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including new bodies as He's promised us. That's a, a, it's, a, it's a reference to this new heavens and the earth, the new bodies, resurrected bodies that we have. And He makes this crazy reference in the middle of that there's a time coming when God gives us our full rights as adopted children. Everyone say full rights. As adopted children. So God adopts us, and then we're adopted children, and then in the future time, God will give us the full rights of what, of what He's on about, right? And you can read the rest about uh, the, the full, right, full rights in this next one, Galatians, right? Even say full rights. Okay, so we're adopted, and there's a time coming when God gives us the full rights. But we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is a guarantee 
that God has chosen us, right? And we can see that in this next one. It says this, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir, right? Um, the, the Galatians passage goes on, and it talks about the fact that God, God adopts us, but before, before, we, before someone's mature, when they're adopted, before they're fully grown, that they live under the guardianship of whoever holds the... The, the family treasure, right? They live under the guardianship. So you're adopted, and then you live under guardianship, so you don't necessarily have uh, the ability to just race down the shops and buy a Ferrari, right? But you maybe have the money in, held in trust. And we can sort of understand that in our modern world today, that when someone's of a certain age, and even though they are legally the owner of something, they don't get to experience the fullness of it until they're old enough based on whatever the decision was when the money was left in trust. Nod your head. That makes sense, right? The Bible says that the law, which is all the law given to Moses, acts as a guardian for us or act as, as a guardian for the plan of God up until the time that Jesus would come and bring us complete freedom where we could not just work hard to try and meet God's requirements, but actually for the grace and the work of God to transform our hearts so that our life begins to flow more naturally in relationship with God, right? So our full rights as adopted children is something that we walk into as we grow into maturity. As the work of grace begins working in our heart, we find what we, people talk all the time about someone being a mature Christian or someone being a young Christian, what they what they usually mean is someone's uh, sort of old and stuff, and then other other people haven't been a Christian very long. But the reality is, what makes us mature as a Christian is the work of grace in our heart that sets us free from the laws of both sin and the law of death, and we find our the law of freedom in life in Christ Jesus. So the reality is, some people. You know, you could be a Christian for a very long time without ever growing a sense of freedom and grace in your life. In fact, you could be a Christian forever without even beginning to grow that, but you just live as a child just doing all the right things under the guardianship of law, whereas actually when we mature, there's actually a change in our heart where God begins to work in our world. I'm hoping that if you've been following Jesus any length of time, you can already see in areas of your life, if not the whole of your life, but in areas of your life, you've found yourself finding freedom in certain areas. Uh, just as an example, when my grandfather became a Christian, he was an alcoholic and he smoked. The day he became a Christian, he stopped drinking that day. He, he never touched a drop of alcohol ever again. So he drank a bottle of gin a day and then he stopped drinking. But for 20 years, he still smoked cigarettes. Couldn't shake it. How many people, I don't know why, but right, the reality is sometimes God sets us free from something like that, and sometimes there's things for us to learn and process where God is bringing us not just to take a problem away, but for us to grow in our spirit, grow in our faith, grow in our understanding of grace that brings us to a place of freedom, right? Everyone say maturity. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, it says this, 
all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is awesome. Who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. What's God blessed us with? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms, right? Because we are united with Christ. But even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 8 goes on and says, He showered his kindness upon us along with all wisdom and understanding. So God adopts us. God adopts you. It's what he always does. It's always been his plan. It will always be his plan. How does God work in your world? The first thing God does is he adopts you. There's no trial period. There's no no proving yourself period. God just adopts you. And then he begins working in you. Uh, if I was reading a little bit about adoption. I didn't, I didn't do a huge amount of research, so don't get the wrong idea. I was reading a little bit about adoption in the ancient world. Because adoption in, in our modern world today is a bit confusing. Sometimes in the modern world today, adoption is a little bit about the parents wanting to have children, which are, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, it's not always just about the fact that there's children who need parents. It's sort of driven more about parents who want children, and then we, that's when adoption happens. And when it's just about the kids, then they're sort of cared for as wards in some sort of level, right? That's sort of how it works, and I'm not making any comment about it. That's sort of how we understand adoption, right? It's not quite Oliver Twist, you know, where if you didn't get adopted, you just work in, the, you work in a factory and you get killed by a machine at some point, right? Or else you get freed from that whole world into another reality, right? And so we can think about the fact that God adopts us from a, from a perspective of how we understand adoption, which is that, 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 that we, we are sort of a, um, you know, a grubby but, but cheerful sort of urchin, and, and uh, somehow God likes us enough, and we can sing and dance, and we've got curly red hair, and God loves us enough that He calls us into His family, and even though we don't deserve it, we finish with a big song at the end, right? Which is, this is sort of true. But there's actually more to it than that. You know, in the ancient world, no one ever adopted children. The, you just No one adopted children, partly because children didn't live, like the number of children, like a, here's a child, most children or half the children, you see, weren't going to become adults. They would just, you know, something would get sick or something would happen, right? So what they would do is they would just look after orphans. So within a village context or in a, in a, in a, even in a city context, they would look after orphans, and a civilized city would look after its orphans, right? Widows and orphans is what you read about in the Bible a lot. And it's because there, if anyone didn't have, in the, in the early church, if anyone didn't have parents, they would just be looked after by the church. Someone would put them up, people would feed them, but it was, we'd all just look after them, right? The only time people got adopted in the ancient world was as adults, and the only reason they'd be adopted is they'd be adopted to take on a family name. So the only reason you would adopt somebody is if you didn't have an heir of your own. You would adopt somebody else to be your heir 
um, so that the person you adopted would then carry on your name. They would change their name legally, uh, and they would t- carry on your name, and they would perpetuate your property into the future. Interestingly, I never knew this before I read it, but um, nearly none of the Roman Caesars, nearly none of, very few of them were succeeded by their sons. Nearly always, the sons were useless. They're like, and the, and the Caesar would be like, there's no way in the world I'm handing the whole empire over to this lunatic, right? And so what they would do is across the whole city, all of the other people in the, in the, in the ruling classes, they would simply choose somebody. But they're not choosing someone to come and live with them and sing happy songs. Do you know what I mean? And they're not choosing someone just to love them. They're not choosing someone who's just useless and, 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 and well, let's, let's, let's get this baby out of the river. It's this whole nother concept which the Bible talks about us of ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus and that we are heirs, inheritors of the kingdom of God. When God chooses us and, and adopts us, let's understand that He's choosing us. He's actually looking at people and He's saying, this is what I'm going to I'm going to call out a people and this group of people are going to carry my name and my authority and they're going to perpetuate the inheritance into the future. So if you have a look at this list, God adopts us as His child because He loves us. He really does love us. We have captured his heart with our cry. He adopts us into his family, but he also adopts us as his heir. And it's not me. He doesn't just adopt me as his child and you and you and you and you. He adopts us as his heir. And the church is the heir, the church, we the church, we are the inheritors of the kingdom. We are are the body of Christ. We are the presence of Jesus in the world, with the presence of God in the world. He adopts us as a child, he adopts us as a and it's because he has a purpose and he has a plan. Don't you like that? I love the fact that Jesus didn't just save me because I was a weird little 11-year-old kid and I needed to be saved. Jesus didn't just save you because you desperately needed to be saved. He saved you because he also, because he loves you and you needed to be saved, but also he's got a purpose and a plan. There's something about you being part of the kingdom that will carry the name of God in a greater sense in the world around us. It's the truth of Scripture, and you can argue it forever, that you didn't just choose salvation. God also chose you. Oh, and yes, I chose, and He chose you. And this is a very large theological problem in the whole world, so we're not going to talk about it anymore because we're nearly at the end of the service. Did God choose me? Did I choose Him? Yes. Both is true. But God did choose you because He has a plan and He has a purpose. There's something about you following Jesus that allows Jesus to do more in the world than if you weren't. Do you like that? It's important for us to remember that. That it's more than just His love and kindness. It's also His plan and His purpose. It's only, it's only possible for Jesus, for God to adopt us, the Father to adopt us because of His grace and His mercy. Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, that's the only reason that God can draw us near. If a holy God was to draw unholy people near to Himself, the unholiness would be destroyed except for the grace of God. But because of God's grace, because of His mercy expressed in Christ Jesus, because of the blood of Christ, it allows God to connect with us for us to be drawn near to Him because of His grace and mercy. 
He does this to make us part of the family. Everyone say, part of the family. You look at the person next to you and say, part of the family. Look at the person on the other side, it's part of the family. Say it like a mobster, say, part of the family. Yeah, 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 it's a real genuine mobster voice there. And he does it to conform us to the image of his son. Do you know, the grace of God is such that he chooses us in the shape and the state that we're in. With our narcissistic tendencies, our anxieties and our fears, our hurts and our brokennesses, our poverty, our poverty of spirit, our emptiness of soul, our absence of grace, our absence of love. He chooses us and He puts us into the family and it's in the family that He begins to fill up those gaps. I doubt you'd be able to adopt people quite like that. In, in terms of how actual adoption works in the world, there's not many 15-year-olds getting adopted. Oh, no, just join the family. We'll figure it out as we go along. Partly because that's a terrifying thought. Why? Because people don't change that easily, do they? But who were you when God saved you? Ah, oh, just come on into the family. If you were in charge of who could come join the church, would you let you in? If you were in charge of deciding who were the good people who go to heaven, would you say, yes, top of the list, Google Sutherland? Probably not, because you know you more than anyone else does. But God knows you more than you know you. And He chooses you to be a part of His family, part of His kingdom, and it's in the context of family that He reshapes us. That's why church is so important, but not, not the gathering just on Sunday, but the relationships that we build. The, the conversations that we can have where you can say to somebody, oh man, this happened this week. Can you pray with me? Some, I've had prayer with someone already this morning who's come up and said, oh man, can you pray with me? I've made a terrible mistake this week. What's that about? It's just about family. Where we can pray for each other and find healing. Where we can encourage each other, where we can support each other through the challenges of everyday life and the, the challenge of trying to find Jesus and follow Jesus in the world. That we can do that together. Do you know we can do that together or we can do it not at all? We can follow Jesus with our hearts joined together or we can not follow him at all. We can, we can follow as the family of God or we can not follow at all. It's the family of God, it's our adoption, it's connected. The way we relate together is connected to his work of salvation and saving us and calling us out. Like the Bible says, from darkness and into light. I love what Peter says, that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. I think, I don't know about you, I think this whole idea of adoption is worth thinking about, isn't it? It's worth talking about. Maybe close your eyes and bow your heads. Perhaps you're here this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe you've, as I've been talking, I just get the sense that, that there's a new, a new level or a new reality, a new clarity is probably the best word, a new clarity of revelation about the love of God. That it's more than just that He sort of likes us and we're somewhat appealing. But the fact of the matter is that we're not 
appealing to him, but he chose us. Not just so that he could be a benefactor to us, but also so that we could be at work in his plan and in his purpose. Not just so that we personally could live good lives and find a way to heaven, but so that we together could be the family of God expressing the reality of Jesus in the world. If you hear anything, yeah, I definitely need that greater clarity of revelation. Maybe just open your hands on your lap or respond to God in your heart and let me pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you right now for the reality of, of who you are. We thank you, God, that it's not just words, but you really did call us out of darkness and into your glorious light. You, your unchanging plan has always been to adopt us as your own children by, through the sacrifice that Christ made. Lord we, Lord, we open our spirit to you and we know that the things of the spirit cannot always be contained in our mind. Lord, we ask that you'd reveal to us what it is that you've done and what it means that you've done it to us and in us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for us as a church, as a community, as a bunch of people following you, Lord God, that we'd operate as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, called, chosen, anointed with authority, with the power, loved desperately by you, God. I pray that we'd live our life, Lord God, in light of these truths, that we'd conduct our relationships in light of these truths, that we'd outwork the purposes you put in our heart in light of the truth that you love us and that you've called us. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Perhaps you're here and maybe you've never made a decision to respond to Jesus. For me, when I was 11, I first responded to God in a church sort of service. But then when I was 16, I had to make some tough choices about who my friends were going to be. And I really felt like I decided again that I'm def- def- definitely going to follow God and make Him a priority in my life. When we choose to acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, we set free from sin and brokenness and we set free into the life of the Bible says, the law of the Spirit of life. A law that brings life, life through Christ Jesus. And if, if you're here this morning, you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Savior, or perhaps you've done it, but hey, you did it, but it was ages ago. And you're feeling like, man, this really is time for me to recommit and reconnect my life with God. We love giving people this opportunity just before we close our service. But just while no one else is looking around, if, if that's you, I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, I'm not going to get you out of your seat, but I do just want you to give me a quick wave and say, that's me. I want to pray this prayer this morning. I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. I want to choose either for the first time or as a repeated decision, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask Him to forgive my sin. I'm going to make Him the boss of my life. Just give me a quick wave if that's, if that's you. I want to, I don't, I, we don't want to drag it out, but we do always want to take the opportunity to give people the chance to respond to God. Amen. Awesome. How many people are glad they came to church this morning? Yeah? Very, very good. You know, I was talking to Jimmy. If you don't know Jimmy, he's awesome. Every time I talk to Jimmy, I was driving, we were driving out to Pete's wedding, actually. And uh, every time I talk to Jimmy, he comes up with some other great story. And uh, he was telling me that uh, he used to ride dirt bikes. And you can remember borrowing someone's dirt bike, riding it too fast, crashing it. Those classic stories, and if Jimmy tells it, it's better than that. But uh, do you know um, when Jimmy was born, he was born in Wellington Hospital, and um, his mum gave him away because of the circumstances around how he how he made it into the world it wasn't going to be good for the family, and he was just at the hospital. And there was another, there was a little girl, a primary school age girl who was in hospital. She was sick for a couple of weeks, and it's 
after she was sort of better, the nurses let her look after the little babies in the hospital. And when her parents, when it's time for this little girl to go home to her family, she'd fallen in love with this little orphan baby boy. And so the parents sort of had to adopt him. So she went to hospital sick and came back with a little brother. So just be careful when you send your kids to hospital, right? But I, when Jimmy told me that story, I just felt just, wow. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And that's like what God does. I wonder what little babies you could bump into this week. Just some of your friends and family, people at work. and Just bring them home. Just bring them into the family. Just connect them in. I like the idea that this little girl makes this connection with the baby and then the parents adopt the baby. I think it's a cool story. And I just thought I find it inspiring in terms of my own understanding of the gospel as well. Amen.